Engaging conversation on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. Hello and welcome to Pro-Life Primetime News. Today is Friday, August 11th. I'm Leslie Palma. And I'm Teresa Watson. We're so happy to have you with us tonight. In our top story, we'll return to Ohio, where a special election turned out to be a losing proposition for life. We'll tell you about the results of the vote that sought to make it harder to amend the state constitution. We'll have reaction from Priests for Life National Director Frank Pavone, who will tell us about the upcoming battle in November. And we'll discuss the other states planning ballot initiatives in 2024. The Federal Equal Opportunity Employment Commission is being accused of trying to hijack the pro-woman Pregnant Workers Fairness Act. And Pennsylvania's new governor is canceling a state contract that provides money to pregnancy help centers. I'll have both stories and more in Abortion in the News. Will he or won't he? That's the question surrounding former President Donald Trump, who has said he won't attend the first Republican debate later this month, but he might give in to the roar of the crowd and show up. Also, the Republican National Committee is intervening in an election integrity lawsuit in Wisconsin. You'll hear about both stories and political news in a nutshell. We'll close tonight with a story about an alternative to abortion program in Kansas that aims to help pregnancy resource centers and maternity homes. After a dispiriting week, you'll want to stay to hear this good news. The pro-life movement is regrouping this week after losing an important special election in Ohio on Tuesday. Ohioans voted 57 to 43 percent against raising the threshold of votes needed to amend the state constitution. That means an extreme abortion amendment to be voted on in November needs just 50 percent plus one vote to pass. We asked Priests for Life National Director Frank Pavone to discuss the election results and to talk about what comes next. Hey, friends, the results in uh, Ohio in regard to amending the Constitution, of course, uh, did not uh, raise the threshold in the vote yesterday. And there are some people who think that uh, this was an attempt to attack democracy. Uh, It's exactly the opposite. It is not an American idea that public policy should always be determined by a simple majority. Otherwise, it wouldn't be so hard to amend our federal constitution. It wouldn't be, uh, we wouldn't have the electoral college. We wouldn't have, uh, you know, the uh, smallest states in America having the same number of U.S. senators as the biggest states. There's always a mechanism in our government to protect the rights of the minority. And it's perfectly reasonable uh, for a constitution to require 60% of the vote to uh, be amended. Why? Because then you're forcing more of a consensus. You're making sure that you're including people who might not be part of a faction, even if that faction is a majority, that are stirred up by a particular emotional response into doing something that ultimately would be harmful to the nation or the state, such as unlimited abortion, excluding parental rights from the abortion decision, or even excluding parents from a transgender mutilation of one of their minor age children. So it is an outrage that uh, this vote did not uh, uh, succeed. However, now the battle turns to November, and we will continue uh, letting the voices of women who are harmed from abortion, as well as allowing the, the gruesome reality of abortion to be seen. 
we have to come together. This has to be a national to state collaboration. In other words, every state battle is a national battle and Priests for Life will be engaged in, in bringing together uh, the forces both on the national and state level to win these victories moving forward. We appreciate the efforts of all the pro-life people both in the states and in the national uh, groups to be part of these ongoing efforts. The mainstream media is portraying the pro-life community as fractured and looking to assess blame. The truth is that this was a setback, but it was a battle we lost in Ohio, not the war. Conversations among pro-life leaders since the vote stress the need for unity and for honest assessments of what went wrong and what could be improved before November. Katherine Davis of the Georgia-based Restoration Project thinks a collaborative effort to create a billboard campaign could succeed in reaching communities of color that are the main targets of the abortion industry. She thinks information stands outside grocery stores and sporting events can help reach voters who might otherwise be missed. Laura Streitman, Executive Director of Cincinnati Right to Life, suggested that women and men who have not been healed from their abortion experiences have to be reached with a message of healing before the November vote. I keep thinking about the rage vote and how we turn it around, she said. How do we take the rage, the women with the red paint splattered on their white jeans at rallies, and how do we heal this and turn it into a vote for life and not death? How do we love them enough to end the rage and turn it into a change for the better? Mark Harrington of Created Equal, based in Columbus, Ohio, said pro-aborts made the issue about abortion, while some pro-lifers tried to change the message for the special election to say it was about saving the state constitution from the influence of deep pockets out-of-state organizations. The fact is, issue one was about abortion, Harrington said. Everybody knew it, yet the other side was the only one that was willing to go out front and say that it was about abortion, as we were making excuses as to why it wasn't. Harrington also said the stakes are very high for the November vote. If you are a leader of a pro-life organization, you need to come to Ohio, he said. This is it. If we lose Ohio, pro-abortion forces will take this across the country. The dominoes may begin to fall in other states. If they win in Ohio, they're going to be emboldened to take this to other states. Ballot initiatives since the fall of Roe have been big winners for the abortion lobby. In 2022, there were six ballot measures addressing abortion, the most on record for a single year. Voters approved ballot measures to establish state constitutional rights to abortion in California, Michigan, and Vermont. In Kansas and Kentucky, voters rejected ballot measures to state that nothing in their state constitutions create a right to abortion or requires government funding of abortions. In Montana, voters rejected an amendment to add a Born Alive Infant Protection Act to the state constitution. Abortion advocates in Florida, Missouri, and Arizona already are planning ballot initiatives in 2024. And if the Ohio measure passes in November, activists in other states where babies are protected from abortion could look into this legislative workaround to keep abortion legal. It's the question of the month. Will Donald Trump appear on the debate stage alongside his 2024 GOP presidential foes, or will he sit this one out? There are pros and cons to both options, some of which the former president, who enjoys a commanding lead over his fellow Republican candidates, has already vocalized himself. It could be stupid to participate, he told Breitbart last week. In typical Trump fashion, the suspense is likely to build up until shortly before the August 23rd debate in Milwaukee. 
A Trump campaign official told Playbook that he's unlikely to attend the debate, but he hasn't said 100 percent definitively. On the other hand, Playbook heard that Trump told Fox News and Republican National Convention executives he just might do it. Candidates have until 48 hours before the debate to indicate if they'll participate. Watch what happens when Trump polls New Hampshire crowd and asks, should I do the debate? They're all saying, is he going to go into the debate? And I say, I don't know. If you're leading by 50 and 60 and 70 points, do you do that or not? I don't know. Should I? Okay, you ready? Poll. We take a free poll. Should I do the debate? <laughs> well, maybe we'll do something else. You know, see, some people say yes, but they hate to say it because it doesn't make sense to do it if you're leading by so much, but they like it for entertainment value because they're selfish. They're selfish. Trump could soon be strapped with an order limiting him in speaking publicly about the federal charges he is facing. But that won't stop him from using his legal woes to galvanize voters on the campaign trail. I will talk about it. I will. They're not taking away my First Amendment rights, Trump said on Tuesday about his latest federal indictment, riling up a crowd at the campaign stop in Wyndham, New Hampshire. A court-ordered muzzle could be imminent after the current GOP frontrunner appeared to declare that, that he's coming after those he views as responsible for his myriad legal challenges. Prosecutors brought the comments to a judge's attention last week, calling for Trump to be ordered to keep any evidence prosecutors turn over to his defense team away from public view. But Trump said Tuesday that he didn't care, accusing President Joe Biden of weaponizing the Justice Department to take out a political rival. The former president last week was charged with four felony counts of consp conspiring to seize a second term after losing to Joe Biden in 2020 election. He is also facing charges in two other cases, a federal case in Florida in which he's accused of hoarding classified documents and obstructing the government's efforts to retrieve them, and a hush money case in Manhattan. A fourth indictment against Trump is expected in the coming days in Georgia, also related to his alleged efforts to interfere with the results of the 2020 election. All of Trump's legal battles threatened to take him away from the campaign trail and into the courtroom just as the 2024 presidential race picks up speed. Within the last two years, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has signed laws protecting babies from abortion at 15 weeks and six weeks. Now a candidate for the Republican nomination for president, DeSantis has not ruled out enacting a national abortion ban if elected president. Asked by NBC's Dasha Burns whether he would veto any sort of federal bill that would institute a nationwide ban, DeSantis replied, we will be a pro-life president and we will support pro-life policies. The governor also said that he does not support penalties for people who seek abortions. The Republican National Committee and Republican Party of Wisconsin moved Tuesday night to intervene in Priorities USA versus Wisconsin Elections Commission, an election lawsuit filed in Wisconsin by Democrat-affiliated attorney Mark Elias. The original suit, followed by the Elias Law Group in July, seeks to allow Wisconsin voters to return absentee ballots in drop boxes. In 2022, the Wisconsin Supreme Court barred the return of absentee ballots without official witnesses. 
The Republican response claimed that Elias, whom the Democratic National Committee cut ties with in April, following 14 years of representation, is partnering with far-left dark money groups to try and get rid of basic common-sense election safeguards that the majority of folks support. Wisconsin election integrity is under attack from far-left dark money groups bent on destroying basic voting safeguards, RNC Chairwoman Rona McDonald said in a statement announcing the intervention. As Democrats compete to see who can launch the most self-serving and frivolous attacks on election integrity, Republicans remain committed to protecting your vote in the Badger State and nationwide. Ten Republican state senators in Oregon who racked up more than 10 unexcused absences during a six-week walkout in the most recent legislative session can't run for re-election, the state's elections chief said Tuesday. Six of the ten are up for re-election next year. Under Measure 113, which was approved by voters in 2022, lawmakers with more than 10 unexcused absences are disqualified from being re-elected for the following term. But some Republicans raised questions over the measure's vague wording, sparking confusion over what the consequences of the walkout would be for boycotting senators. My decision honors the voters' intent by enforcing the measure the way it was commonly understood when Oregonians added it to our state constitution, Oregon Secretary of State LeVon Griffin Vivalde said in a news release. Senate Republicans said they would challenge the rule in court. We believe the plain language of Measure 113 allows for members to run again in 2024 elections, said Senate Republican Minority Leader Tim Knopp, who was among the 10 senators in question. The vast majority of people will take a political candidate's position on abortion into consideration before voting, according to a new poll released Tuesday. The CNN poll found that 55% of voters would consider a candidate's abortion policies to be one of several key factors when voting. Another 29% said they would only vote for a candidate who shared their personal beliefs on abortion, bringing the total number of respondents who are likely to pay attention to a candidate's stance to 84%. The remaining 16% said they do not see abortion as a major issue, which CNN noted was a record low since the outlet started asking the question in 1996. With this year's data, the poll concluded people largely hold the same views on the Supreme Court's reversal of Roe v. Wade, similar to last year's results. In Tuesday's poll, 36% of voters said they agreed with the High Court's decision that there is no constitutional right to abortion, while 64% said they disagreed with that opinion. Among those who approved of the overturning of Roe v. Wade, 34% said they think politicians who oppose abortion should push for further restrictions nationwide. Comparatively, 66% said politicians should leave the contentious issue up to the states. Although a majority still favors leaving the issue in state legislatures, last July saw 80% saying politicians should let states decide on abortion restrictions, a notable decrease in the past year. Most of those who disapproved of the Supreme Court's ruling said neither their state government, 60%, nor the federal government, 78%, is doing enough to ensure abortion access. And that's political news in a nutshell. The Federal Equal Opportunity Employment Commission is being accused of hijacking the Pregnant Workers Fairness Act by including language on abortion. 
The law, passed last year and in effect since earlier this summer, requires employers to provide reasonable accommodations like rest breaks and light duty to pregnant workers. The law mentions pregnancy, childbirth, and related medical conditions. The Employment Commission is now seeking to expand the list to include birth control, menstruation, lactation, fertility treatments, miscarriage, as mis miscarriage, and, quote, having or choosing not to have an abortion. Julie Marie Blake, senior counsel for the Alliance Defending Freedom, said the Biden administration lacks the legal authority to, quote, smuggle an abortion mandate into a transformational pro-life, pro-woman law. The regulations still need to be voted on and finalized by the Employment Commission following a public comment period. Pennsylvania's new governor, Democrat Josh Shapiro, has terminated a state contract that provides millions of dollars to pregnancy resource centers. Real Alternatives, which provides funding to 27 pregnancy centers, has received state funding for 30 years. The governor said he's cutting the funding to ensure that Pennsylvania women, quote, receive the reproductive health care they deserve. A Texas judge last week issued a temporary injunction against a state law protecting nearly all babies from abortion. For a few hours last Friday, doctors who performed abortions when pregnancy complications risked the mother's life or health or when there were fetal abnormalities were not liable for prosecution. An appeal from the state attorney general blocked the block the following day, leaving the ultimate decision to the Texas Supreme Court. Five women brought suit against the state, saying they were denied abortions by physicians who cited the law. Their suit seeks to clarify when doctors can legally perform abortion. Former Southwest Airlines flight attendant Charlene Carter has won another victory in court. After working for the airline for 21 years, Carter was fired in 2017 for sharing her pro-life beliefs on Facebook and speaking out against her union using members' dues on pro-abortion activities. She sued and last summer was awarded $5.1 million. The airline was ordered to offer her job back, but instead, Southwest requested a new trial and sent a memo to employees warning them not to do what Carter had done. Federal Judge Brantley Starr wasn't amused, this week ordering the airline's attorneys to undergo training in religious liberty. The airline is appealing. Six college professors and the unions that represent them have joined the ACLU in suing Idaho over a law that bars government and public institutions from doing business with abortion providers. The law also says schools cannot promote abortion. The professors claim they are hamstrung by the law, unable to read a story about a nurse with an ethical dilemma around abortion, and unable to have an ethics class debate both sides of the issue. But according to Idaho Family Policy Center President Blaine Conzati, academic discussion taking place in the classroom on topics related to abortion and various perspectives on abortion is allowed under the law. Utah's Supreme Court heard more than four hours of oral arguments Tuesday in a challenge to the state's trigger law banning nearly all abortions. The law will not decide the constitutionality of the trigger law, but whether or not a lower court was correct in, in issuing an injunction to block the law. The state believes the injunction should be overturned. Planned Parenthood, who else, argues it should remain in place. Until there's a ruling, abortion remains legal until 18 weeks. Police in Texas say that a woman arrested in Brownsville trying to get over the border to Mexico had given birth in a gas station restroom in April and left the baby in the toilet, where she was found dead more than six hours later. Law enforcement officials in Houston said Diana Guadalupe Zavala Lopez, 25, admitted in court that she had not checked to see if her daughter was alive or provide any emergency care. Police on July 31st released surveillance video from the Shell station, leading them to her Facebook and Instagram accounts and eventually to the woman herself. Lopez, a Mexican national in the U.S. with an expired visa, has been charged with felony tampering of evidence, in this case, the body of her daughter.
From Life News, we have a story about a pro-life victory in Westchester County, New York. Members of the County Board of Legislators voted at their meeting Monday to repeal an eight-foot floating bubble zone around people entering or leaving abortion mills. The bubble zone was one provision of the law known as Chapter 425 of the Laws of Westchester County, which also establishes a 25-foot no-follow-and-harass zone, along with five additional restrictions on pro-life sidewalk counseling. Its repeal follows a lawsuit by Thomas More Society on behalf of 40 Days for Life and a local affiliate and two pro-life sidewalk counselors. And finally, an abortion activist who moonlights as a Presbyterian minister told her North Carolina congregation last month that she felt God's presence when she made the decision to abort two babies. Wearing a pink stole emblazoned with the Planned Parenthood logo, the Reverend Rebecca Todd Peters told her flock at the Community Church of Chapel Hill that I felt no guilt, no shame, no sin. A forced pregnancy or birth is not holy. Peters believes abortion for any reason is morally justified, and the idea that abortion is wrong is, quote, rooted in Christianity's patriarchal vision of womanhood. And that's abortion in the news. Kansas is accepting bids from nonprofits looking to administer the state's new Alternatives to Abortion program. Over the veto of pro-abortion Governor Laura Kelly, state legislators set aside $2 million to be distributed to pregnancy resource centers and maternity homes. The program also includes money to establish a website listing all the available resources, including adoption centers, for mothers who want to choose life for their babies. We have with us tonight Jean Garden, Director of Government Relations for Kansas for Life, to talk about the program and how things have been in Kansas since the fall of Roe. Hi, Jean. Hello. It's great to be here. So, as you know, and to everyone's surprise, Kansans last year voted against an amendment that would have spelled out clearly that there is no right to abortion contained in the state's constitution. So what's been happening on the abortion front since then? Are you seeing a lot of women from out of state coming into Kansas for abortion? Well, sadly, what we predicted would happen did happen, and our abortion numbers increased 57% from 2021 to 2022. Not only that, we saw a 117% increase in the numbers of women coming from out of state to have abortions. And that was nearly two to one compared to the women in state having abortions. Wow. Wow. So, Jean, how did the Alternatives to Abortion Bill come about? Well, we made a promise last year to never abandon moms and babies. And to that end, we decided we wanted to uh, pursue at the legislature um, funding for pregnancy resource centers and, and adoption agencies and maternity homes that would in, enhance and increase the, the availability of services from these organizations to pregnant women in need and that would promote childbirth over adoption. So we were able to do some research and put together legislation that has some great provisions in it to really put women and their babies first. That's fantastic. So, so bidding is underway. What kind of organization is best suited to administer a program like this? Well, our role at Kansans for Life was to promote the legislation and get that passed through the legislature. But we um, are hoping, of course, that the best uh, organization be one that does value women and babies and that will make the resources available to these different organizations that are on the front lines helping women to be able to choose life for their babies. How will you ensure that Kansans know about this new program? 
Well, Kansans for Life has been uh, very widely promoting this um, piece of legislation. We've been letting the pregnancy resource centers know that this funding will be available. We've been letting our members know throughout the state that this is something that will in enable the pregnancy resource centers to expand their hours, perhaps hire more staff, or even open other locations. And we're going to continue to do that, let folks know that this program exists. But in addition to the funding for the Pregnancy Resource Center services, there's also a public awareness campaign uh, component of, of the law. And that will include not only a website, but it could possibly include uh, billboards and social media posts and a variety of other ways for uh, Kansans to learn about the many services that are over 50 pregnancy resource centers, maternity homes, and adoption centers uh, have available for women in need. Is this a one-shot deal or, or will the legislature need to renew it, the funding, every year? The, the funding will need to be renewed, and of course, we know that this is going to be a very successful program uh, because we're planning to come back to the legislature next year um, and hopefully increase the funding. Uh, $2 million is a great start, but we'd like to see, uh, obviously, much more funding available for these centers because they do such a tremendous job at no cost to women um, and really are a tremendous alternative to abortions. Well, Jean, thank you so much for taking the time to join us this evening. Uh, we hope you'll come back when the program's up and running and, and saving lives. Will you do that? Absolutely. I look forward to coming back and giving you a very, very positive update on the Alternatives to Abortion Program funding in Kansas. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Good, good night. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on Pro-Life Primetime News, produced at Priest for Life headquarters in Titusville, Florida. If you like our show, please support us by making a donation to ProLifeGift.org. These donations help fund all of our work here at Priests for Life, which enables us to continue educating, equipping, and activating God's people to end abortion. For all your pro-life news updates during the week, please follow us on Twitter at ProLife News Show. I'm Teresa Watson, Executive Manager. I'm Leslie Palma, Communications Director. Remember, life is the only choice. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.